Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. It's a joy uh, for me this morning to introduce to you my friend Forrest. Come on up, Forrest. Forrest is uh, the pastor of Redeemer Bible Church, and they, as some of you will know, have gl gladly took us in when uh, we needed a home. And so uh, Forrest is going to be preaching to us on Joel chapter 2, so buckle your seatbelts. Remember the nearest exit, maybe behind, I'm kidding. Uh, we, we flew back from Little Rock yesterday, and it was like a ping pong ball the whole way. Let me pray for you, Forrest, and then we'll let you... Get going. Lord, thank you for Forrest. Thank you for the man that he is. Thank you for the heart you've given him and the gift that he is to so many. As he preaches to us now, would you open our hearts to hear your word? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Dad. Okay. I lied. I lied. Now, before you think terrible about me, let me explain. I was in fifth grade. I was in fifth grade, and it was wrong that I lied, so I'm not saying it was okay, but i just give you some background to the story. So we had a project in our fifth grade class. Science teacher gave us this project, which was to construct a baby chick incubator. And so I took it to heart, and I went out to our garage and constructed a baby chick incubator. Found a uh, little aquarium, found a light bulb, found some wiring, wired it up, brought it into the class, set it down with everybody else's, and I, I was so proud of it. I really was, because I did it myself, the whole thing, and I was pretty proud of it. And so the teacher looked at it, and he looked at me, 
Then he looked at it, then he looked at me, and he said, did your dad help you with that wiring? And I said, yes, he did. When I knew full well that he hadn't. And so apparently the way that I kind of wired that up looked like a fifth grader and not like an adult. And so for me, from my perspective, I didn't think I did anything wrong, but all of a sudden the cavalcade came down and now my teacher was questioning me. And in the moment, I lied. Not proud of it, it wasn't right, but I lied. And the reason that I lied was I was afraid of how my teacher would respond. I was afraid about what would happen, so it was just easier for me to just say, yeah, he did, when in fact I knew full well that he didn't. And this dynamic is in play for modern humanity. Modern humanity is living in an environment where they know that for the most part, they're not doing what they should be doing. Now, I understand if you read on Facebook or you hear what people are saying, they're, they're, they're coming to the conclusion or they're, they're trying to promote the dynamic that they think they're doing okay. But if you really got someone deep down inside and you were able to talk to them, they realize that they know they're not doing right. It's pretty simple. If you lie and you cheat and you steal, you don't want somebody else to do it to you, so you shouldn't be doing it to other people, but sometimes it's just easier to do it that way. Humanity is reluctant to turn to God because they know that God is a holy God, and they just don't exactly know how he's going to respond to their sin. They may have never been in a relationship with the Lord at any point in their life, and so they may have circumstances in their life lead them to the place where they're like, okay, we probably need to, to get our act together here, but there's this fear, there's this reluctance to go to God because they're not sure how is he going to respond. And even for those who have been believers for many, many years, sometimes things get away from us. Sometimes we, we're not doing the things that we should be doing. We're, we're kind of drifting away from the Lord. Not really anything terrible. We're drifting away, and we find ourselves very far from the Lord. Unfortunately for some, sometimes we get tripped up in a sin, and we just get caught in it, and it just gets us super far away. And we get to that point in that moment where we think about, wow, I really should get my act together. I really should get back tight with God, but... There's this fear that wells up within us like, how's he going to respond to this one? How's he going to respond to this one? So modern humanity, and oftentimes we ourselves, we're reluctant to turn to the Lord because we're afraid of how he'll respond. In the book of Joel, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Joel. It's an Old, he's an Old Testament prophet towards the end of the Old Testament. Joel is writing to the people of Israel who he foresees are in a similar situation. They have not been living like they were supposed to live. They were far from the Lord. 
And Joel tells them that, hey, this locust plague that's been going on is actually from the Lord. It's not, this is not just a run-of-the-mill locust plague. This locust plague is from the Lord. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get you to turn back to the Lord. And so then he takes them through, he explains the locust plague and what's going on, and then he, then he tells them to repent. And in, and in their situation, in their setting, how they would repent is fasting and praying, and then the, the priests would pray for them. And so that's what, they were, that's what he was calling them to do. But Joel knows, through the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Joel knows that the people are going to be a little reluctant because they know they've done wrong. They're going to be reluctant to come back to the Lord, to turn back to the Lord in repentance. They're going to be reluctant. So Joel says, here's the deal. You can know that the Lord will restore you, and this is how. And then he explains, in the passage that we're going to look at today, he explains how they can know that the Lord will restore them. And the first thing that they're going to see is, Joel's going to explain, the Lord will restore you because of his character. This is what he does. And at the end of the section, he says, the Lord will restore you because he desires to be with you. He desires your companionship. So this morning, we'll be in Joel chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. And the first thing that we see is that uh, in, in, eight, in verse 18, the, Joel explains to them that the Lord will restore you because of his character. Verse 18 starts off, then the Lord will pity his people. The verse word there is then, and it's saying then, after what's already happened, then this is what will happen. So what's already happened is if the people will repent, and the Lord comes and restores them, then the Lord will pity his people. The word pity here is oftentimes in our modern culture, we think of pity like to have a pity party and just kind of like, oh, that's too bad. But the word here, the original word is not, a, is not a passive word, it's an active word. It will be to show grace, to show mercy. And so what Joel is telling them is the Lord will show mercy to his people. He will jealously guard the honor of his land. Verse 19, the Lord will reply, look, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. Not just enough to say, okay, you've got enough to make it. He's going to give you enough to be full, to be fully satisfied. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. See, at this time, this is an honor-shame culture and there was only one thing that was just about as bad as death, and that was to be shamed. And so what? Joel is promising, says, listen, if you will just repent, the Lord will restore you and he will remove your shame. That would have been a big deal to them. And then in verse 20, something very, very interesting is happening. And I admit it, I've read this so many times and I missed it, and you may have been in that same boat. He says, I will drive away these armies from the north, and I will send them into the parched wastelands. So the locusts that are in the northern part of Israel that are ravaging the land, he says, I'm going to move them back north and drive them into the desert. There won't be any food there, and they'll die. 
The locusts in the north get moved north. Next part of the verse. Those in the front, which in our mindset is actually east. They call it different. It was differently then. But those in the east, on the eastern side of the land, will be driven into the Dead Sea farther east. And those in the rear, which would be west, will be driven into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. What is interesting, the way that Joel is saying this, the way that the Holy Spirit is inspiring this, is that the solution is going to come from the middle of the land. Those locusts in the north will be pushed north. Those on the east will be pushed east, and those on the west will be pushed west. The solution will come from the middle of the land. A regular locust, a regular old locust plague, everybody's waiting for an east wind to come to move the locust out. That's their perspective. Nature brought this locust plague in, and nature will take it out. And what Joel is saying here is that the Lord will bring you relief from this locust plague, but he will do it. It cannot be explained by natural phenomena, because the stuff in the north is going to go north. The stuff in the west is going to go west, and stuff in the east. There's no natural phenomenon to explain this. It is going to be the Lord's provision. And what he's doing is he's demonstrating that's the Lord's character. That's the way the Lord does things. He protects his people. He comforts his people. He works with his people in a supernatural way. And so Joel is calling these people, repent, come back to the Lord. And the reason you can be, have confidence in that is because this is his character. The problem with this teacher was, and the reason that I feared him so much is because I knew his character. Remember, I'm in fifth grade. And this teacher would, on a pretty regular basis, stand up in front of his fifth grade class and complain about the people in his life that he thought were irritating him or were doing things wrong. And that's kind of inappropriate. A fifth grader shouldn't hear that kind of stuff from a teacher. But what it communicated to me is this man was not gracious. This man was not merciful. And so when the opportunity came for me, I did what was wrong and I lied. And Joel is doing the exact same thing here, but in the opposite. He's saying, you have no fear. You should have no fear about coming back to the Lord because he is merciful. He's gracious. That is his character. And this morning, I want to challenge each of you to look at just a little bit inside, and I want you to ask yourself, do you need to turn back to the Lord? Maybe you've come into this place this morning, and you've never had an intimate relationship with God because of what Christ did for you. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've grown up in church all of your life and, and probably the world around you thinks you are a believer, but the reality is you're not. I want you to know that the Lord loves you and you can turn to him because his character is to show mercy and compassion and grace. Maybe you've been a believer, entered into a relationship with the Lord and you've drifted. Sometimes it's not even, you don't even trying to drift, it just happens. 
Life happens and you just get busy and all of a sudden you're, you're far from God. Do you need to, as you sit in the pew this morning, do you need to turn back to the Lord? Second thing that we see as we go to the end of the section of what we're going to talk about here today is then starting in verse 27. I'm sorry, in verse 25. Joel explains that the Lord will restore you because he wants our companionship. This is admittedly a hard thing for us to understand. But Joel kind of spells it out for them in verse 25. He says, The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, and the cutting locust. And what he is not saying here is that he will have things start to grow again and they'll, they'll pick up right where they left off. He's communicating the Lord will restore as if the locust never came. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, and the cutting locust. End of verse 25. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. And the reason he tells him that is because I brought the locust in, I will take them out, and I surely have the power to restore you. Verse 26 says, once again, you will have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God, who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. The assumption here is that the people repent and turn and stay turned. They will never have an opportunity to be disgraced again. And verse 27 says this, then you will know, the Lord is speaking here through Joel to the people, then you will know that I, the Lord, am among my people Israel. I will do things in such a way that you will know that I am among my people. That I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Never again will my people be disgraced. The character of the Lord is such that the character of the Lord will restore these people if they repent. But then at the end here, Joel says, the Lord actually wants to be among you. The Lord actually wants a relationship with you. The Lord desires your companionship. I always tell people, I don't understand why that is. Why would the Lord want to be with me? I'm with myself all day long, every day. I don't think I'm that great. But what is it that he wants inside of me? But there is something. And there's something inside of each and every human that the Lord wants to be among them. And Joel gives that to them as an encouragement. Listen, repent, turn back to the Lord because this is who he is. He desires our companionship. This teacher was the exact opposite. Now that I'm older, I look back on this situation and I said, this was a beautiful opportunity for this teacher. A beautiful opportunity for this teacher to build a relationship with me. I was clearly embarrassed, clearly. It was clear I just had not told the truth. 
And the teacher could have said, hey, let's work together to tidy things up a little bit. But instead what he did is he spent the time making excuses for why he was being hard on me that he didn't want the other teachers to think that because of this project that he had endangered the students. And as a result of what happened there is I didn't like this teacher anymore. I didn't have any desire to be in a relationship with him. I didn't have any desire to to get to know him or be friends with him. He had a great opportunity, but he missed it. And the opposite is the case of what Joel is explaining here about who God is. God actually desires a relationship with us. If we brought the baby chick incubator to the Lord, he would have hung out with us and helped us to fix it. And this morning, I think the challenge for each of us is to look and say, am I a person, am I in a place in my life where I need to turn to the Lord? And if so, one of the things that I'm going to challenge you to do is to not only do that here yet this morning before you leave the sanctuary, but then I'm going to also challenge you to tell someone about it. And I'll explain that a bit in a little bit more. The question that I'm trying to deal with is, how do we know that the Lord will restore us. How, how do we know? How can, how can the Israelites know? Joel told them, but how do we know? And the story as we read it is that, that we can know that the Lord will restore because that's his character. And because he desires our companionship. I finished out my elementary years in eighth, up to eighth grade going through this school and I never got close to that teacher. Never did. Never did. And which is strange because it was a small uh, Christian school. And usually what happens in those settings is the male teachers and the male students, they usually bond. It's just natural. It's just, it's just you know, usually you do. But, but I didn't. I never did. I never trusted him. And I think for the most of the years I had the impression that, that he didn't really like me. And so when an opportunity came for me to talk to him about something I had done wrong, I had no, no desire to do it. And the reality is that many people in our culture, many people, the people that we see at the grocery store, the people that live down the street from us, and maybe even the people, some of the people that live in your house with you, there is a reluctance within them to go to the Lord and say, God, I blew it. God, I've drifted from you. God, I've really done some things that I shouldn't do. There's a reluctance to do that because... They don't know how I'll react. And so what I hope for you, and I hope for you to be able to tell others, is that I understand that reluctance, but you've got to understand his character. It's not his character. It's not the kind of God he is. He's the kind of God who loves to bring people back into a right relationship with himself. And he's a God who loves our companionship. He wants, for unexplainable reasons, to be in an intimate relationship with him. And I do want to challenge each of you that are here today. I I don't know very many of you very well. But I do want to challenge you if that fear, if that reservation has been resident in your heart, this morning... Commit to yourself before you leave this place 
to go to the Lord in prayer, to ask him to forgive you, he will. To ask him to restore the relationship that you want and that now you know he wants. And then after you leave this place, here's the challenge that I have for you that's a little bit tough. I, I try to give people something that's easy and something that's hard. And here's the hard thing. I want you to tell someone about that prayer that you prayed. Tell someone. Tell your spouse. Tell one of your rectors. Maybe tell a family member. But tell someone. Here's the problem with us. Here's the problem that we do sometimes is because we can do things in our minds. We can get off track and then get on track in our mind, but oftentimes it doesn't become real until we tell someone on the outside. We do things on the inside that are good and holy and right, but oftentimes it never makes it to our fingers and our toes because we don't tell someone, we don't talk about it out loud. So this week, if you are taking up the challenge this morning to to spend some time before you leave the sanctuary to get right in your relationship with the Lord, then the challenge for this next week is tell someone about it. Explain to them what you've said and explain to them what you've done. Maybe ask for their help to keep you on track. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come into a warm, dry place to talk to other people who share a like faith. Thank you for the opportunity to come into a place and to, to hear beautiful, beautiful music that inspires us from within to worship you. And thank you for the opportunity to hear what Joel has so carefully left for us about who you really are, your nature, your character, and your desire for intimacy with us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage as we move into the next part of the service in our minds and in our hearts to make things right between ourselves and you if that's something that needs to happen. And then later this week, tell someone about it. Love you. We pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.